Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Voices in DevOps, where I'm here to speak to a double bill of speakers. I've got uh, Lisa Marie Namfi and uh, and Eric Hahn, both from from Portworks. Uh, I'm in the UK. You're over in uh, in, in the the Bay Area. So so as as usual, we've got this long distance thing going. But uh, let's kick this off straight away, Lisa, with with yourself. Uh, maybe what brought you into um, both tech and into the offices of Portworks. How, how did you get to here, uh, sitting on the microphone talking to me? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us, first of all. It's great to be here. I love technology. I grew up here in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I think I came to it through osmosis, just drinking the water. I, you know, I was the, the daughter of an English professor at Stanford, and I was an English major myself. So for me, coming into technology is because I have such a passion for it and because everybody that I went to high school with was building the new new thing and creating technology companies. Um, and this was in the early days. So I, I was fortunate to be at companies like Oracle in the early days, um, Hyperion and Arbor in the early days. And, uh, and I really, but I really loved working with developers and I loved, you know, all my friends were just developing really cool software that then they were just putting out there open source for everybody to use. And, uh, and I just thought this is really neat and watching how communities came together to build these softwares, people from across different companies who just had a passion for the same thing. So that spark that I've heard some of your other guests talk about in the early days of DevOps, you feel that spark, particularly here in the Bay Area with the new technology. And I run a really large user group and I always try to focus on whatever the new cutting edge technology is. I, you know, I try to run the first meetup of you name it, and I keep it. I keep it broad, whether it's cloud native, you know, automation. You know, containers came in, so we always have the opportunity to bring to the community and to bring and to work with developers who are working on the the cool new thing, and that's what gives me energy. And to answer your question about how I got to Portworks, the hottest new thing in cloud native storage, I, I couldn't resist. So uh, once I met wonderful people like Eric Hahn, I was like, okay, I need smartest people in the industry are here. This is where I need to be. Okay, thank you. And you do run a lot of user groups, don't you? And you spend a lot of your time doing that. Yeah, I try to combine them all into one big one that I can run cool technology out of um, because that's what the community here wants. That we don't have to all be in our own little silos. Um, I love you know, bringing solutions together and seeing how ecosystems work together and bringing different, whether it's open source or not, different technologies together and bringing solutions to our customers. It's kind of my passion. Mm -hmm. And and, and Eric, yourself, um, you've got an interesting background as well, I think. Yeah, it's great to be here, John. And we're very, I consider myself very fortunate to work with people like Lisa. So it's its just an exciting time. And in this space, there's so much change. Uh, yeah, and my personal background is actually more that I, I started off in enterprise tech, uh, just was really interested in core networking in college and grad school. And that evolved through Microsoft. And I, was, I spent uh, quite a bit of time there doing enterprise work. Uh, and then I did have a, a great time at Google where I was part of the original Kubernetes team. Uh, since that time, I've been at Portworks from early, early days when we, you know, we were in a small little office now to where you know, we're growing all the time and we're, we're very lucky to be with having people like Lisa with us. But from my perspective, I, I think I would answer with you for you, John, is also, you know, why is tech still interesting? It's really that it's constantly, there's a lot of things that we relearn, a lot of things that we do again, 
but they're different every time. And there's uh, so much imagination and so much practical benefit that in some ways, how could you not be excited about what's going on? It's uh, interesting. Um, I, I mean, we're not here to talk about poor works, but uh, we, we are um, here uh, to, to at least reference poor works. And, and uh, uh, storage is, to anyone that doesn't work with storage, it's it's not, let's say, I actually once, uh, many years ago, gave a presentation called Making Storage Sexy. Um, I, re I remember that it, it, it was to uh, it was to a sales kickoff. <laughs> it, it went extremely well, uh, funnily enough, uh, because there's so much going on, and, and I think that people forget just how uh, everything relies on. You think about you know the, the processor and the networking side of the infrastructure, uh, but everything absolutely relies on on where you actually put the stuff, um, and in database terms, you know the persistence layer. Uh, it's very important, or as I like to see it, it's it's the the mat where you stuff your money under the mattress under the bed, uh, so that you know where to find it again. Anyway, yeah, storage is interesting. Storage is fun. Storage is great. I mean, let me just jump in there, John. I would say it this way: I I couldn't agree more in the sense that not just one company. This is this is kind of the way things are evolving to where everyone will do it this way, right? So rather than talk about this vendor, any vendor in specific, I think it is an industry change that is more important to me, right? Is that, you know, what, what keeps us excited, what keeps things going is that even as things evolve, we start with DevOps, we start with automation, and maybe we automated some simple applications, but every application, in some ways, I wanna hear more about your talk, but every application has data, right? So whether we can make that, uh, automated in a way that I, I do believe that we have to appreciate automation, its value and where it's useful. And the point is that the industry, regardless of one vendor, will be automating every piece of data, especially when it comes to production. And it doesn't have to be at scale and it doesn't have to be uh, for every use case, but there is a change of making it easier, uh, more predictable. And that's what I think is valuable, regardless of one company or another. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I'll just add on to that. I mean, I um, we can make any technology sexy. I used to work for a POSIX certification company, and then I worked for an OLAP company. If I can make OLAP service sexy, <laughs> CEP process. You got me. Service. You got me. I'm yeah. already there. I can talk about complex event processing in a way that you would just you you know bring Ooh, tears to your eyes. Right. And so, you know, because what's sexy about it is the technology, the cutting edgeness of the technology. As Eric was saying, everyone is going to do it this way. Containers are a thing. It's not going to be like, oh, should I? And so this technology is being adopted. And so now we're solving the problems, you know, the, uh, the rest of the ecosystem problems. It's like, okay, well, how do we secure this? You know, what's happening with the networking? And storage is a huge piece of that because the data, it turns out, is very important to people. Don't want to lose that. So, uh, so this is, you know, th this to me is super interesting and in how we're solving these problems and people rally around it. And you said something, um, I think, earlier when we were talking about how, you know, this is still early adoption and not everybody is doing it. But we actually just did a um, container adoption survey and found out that 87% of enterprises are running containers right now and at least half of them are running some sort of application in production. So this really is uh, a reality today. I don't know where, what part of DevOps you want to um, plug that stat into uh, for adoption, but it's it's not if uh, it's not when it's now. You know, is what mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The I, I think at the risk of digressing and not even getting past the introduction to the podcast, uh, uh, always on dangerous ground. Uh, you said a really interesting thing as well, Eric, which is essentially that. 
I th- well, it's one of those things. I think it's interesting because it it plays into some things I've been thinking about. Uh, therefore, it's uh, kind of uh, interesting. It's it's one of those uh, self reinforcing loops, isn't it? But uh, it's the fact that we're actually going into a phase where things are starting to standardize a bit, and that's fascinating. So rather than the, this big fan out that we've had, you know, you, there's several different ways you can do just about everything, and you end up kind of uh, x to the n. Uh, possibilities and massively fragmented pipelines and massively fragmented uh, uh, target architectures and, and, and so on. Uh, we're we're kind of coming around to certain views about what the target should look like, about what the pipeline should look like, um, about how to deal with certain patterns in, in, in the storage layer and so on, which just makes life so much easier for everybody. What, yeah, why, thank, thank goodness for that. And, and the other thing I wanted to just mention was the fact that um, when we do look at those enterprises, a lot of these challenges they already had. So when we talk about legacy systems, for example, you know, to me, a legacy systems uh, situation is just one where you've already got the experience of all the things that could go wrong. Um, and uh, that's so when we're starting to have these conversations with people about, you know, it's all about the ne- I mean, never say to an enterprise guy, it's all about the data because they're going, yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> you do not have to. T-. So it's really good that we're having these uh, kind of epiphanies uh, and we're starting to standardize a bit more because it does get us more able to actually have conversations with people that have been around the block a few times and they're, they're trying to address the challenges already. There you go. Was that a rant? That was almost a soapbox rant. But I, what are you going to say to that stuff before we even move on to say so what's the challenge? I mean, I feel like, John, there is so much we could say. I, I think not to be contrarian, right? Uh, let's just use an analogy from a different industry, right? You know, standardization in automobiles is kind of a fun one, right? So long time ago, things would be hand assembled, et cetera. And then you could say things got standardized in terms of how they're manufactured or roads or tires. And I, I just got back from visiting uh, London, but, you know, you, we drive on different sides of the roads, right? So there is standardization, but there is also still differentiation. And I think uh, things in this ecosystem people can point out to that are standards-based. I do think that the infrastructure, how it gets substantiated, how it gets consumed is becoming more standardized in a, in a productive way because what we, we don't want, and I don't want to throw another buzzword is, you know, people talk about yeah, lock-in. you caught me so i mean my point here is that i think from a lock-in perspective in which sometimes talks about standards is i think people don't people are willing to be soft locked in based on the value but not be hard locked in based on some non-standard based approach so what i'm bringing out is that there's always going to be changes my car 10 years ago is not the car i have now it's not the car that i would have 10 years from now and my point is we start to compete and differentiate at the higher levels and those sometimes get noisy and uh, hard to swap in and out. But I do think that there is a productivity benefit, right? Is that we're putting, we're getting the toil standardized so that the toil starts to become easier and easier. That's the part I value as much as we talk about the complex. I'd rather focus on solving some of the core basics. And so can I, to your point, uh, Data has always been around. Enterprises have always had the, the the problems are consistent, but they're changing in terms of what the actual day in day out can be. Right, and in our own careers, we've seen that. So I think, you know, I uh, the thing that enthuses me is that there are enterprises who are saying, you know, this is not how I did it three years ago, but DevOps automation containers, it's becoming the pattern that I think about today, and that pattern is to get to a different plateau tomorrow. Otherwise, we're just we're just we're circling, and we're not, and no one's trying to circle here. We don't have enough time, right? So I I think standards are there. I think the standards will enforce the bottom layers. I don't know yet about the top, and that's the contrarian point. 
if, if I had one. Uh-huh. And these standards need to be global. This is another challenge that we have, but with software and this, this, you know, it's getting more and more global. It's easier to have developer communities on the other side of the planet. And, you know, you used to sell to companies all over the world if we can get past a few regulations. <laughs> but, you know, one of my favorite uh, slides I've ever seen Eric present, we just, uh, we did DevOps Days Amsterdam and Eric was giving the keynote and he put up this slide of he literally unpacked his bag and put all of his adapters the, the plugs and the go into the wall it on his on his um, desk and he took a picture of it and you had at least seven eight maybe because he was traveling through different countries of europe and everybody has a different type of adapter and it was you know and his point was can we standard can we get a standard here for electricity clearly we can't and he gave a whole talk on the history of electricity and why but if we can simplify this and to the degree that we can simplify this, I think is going to make us all a lot more successful. And I, maybe that's the key word, it's simplification. I love the notion of uh, soft lock-in. I think uh, that, 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 that there's a lot of mileage in that. Uh, but Lisa, I, I'm kind of interested to know what you think about if, if, you're, the, if you're wearing the new, new thing hat today, um, how does the notion of kind of getting everyone on to the same hymn sheet play out when everyone wants to do whatever's next around the corner and, and the new exciting stuff is there a is there an alignment or is there a misalignment there it's very difficult at times and i think uh for larger organizations especially um and if you don't have a mandate you know from like top down we are going to do this we're going to get on board with this technology we're going to do it this way it's not going to happen when i was um a developer advocate at, at hpe we were trying one of my jobs was to roll out a, an enterprise-wide um github license um for for hp software for developers and you would think that that would be an easy thing it's like okay, this is, you know, company mandate. Everybody's going to be on GitHub. This is how we're going to do social coding, have this whole social coding movement. And it just, people, you know, you buy companies, they come in with their own technology, half people are on Perforce, people are on all kinds of different stuff. And trying to get everybody on the same page, not just from um, a skills standpoint, but from an emotional and you know mentality standpoint, it was really hard to, to shift a culture and to get a large company 100% on the same page. And so it has to be a mandate and it's going to be painful for some people here and there. But if you don't, I mean, we see the price of not adopting the new new thing and it turns out the way we develop software now is completely different than the way we developed software uh, five years ago ten years ago and every year it's changing every week it's changing so i think that really companies need to think a lot about that and especially companies that aren't tech companies and when tech isn't your core business you know mercedes uh, you know you have to all of a sudden be a software company ge you know all of a sudden you have to be a software company um, in order to really keep up with all of these trends it's hard. I think that's the most harmonious way. And that's why I I love that perspective. I think there's always, you know, in a less harmonious, there's always that little rebel group out there that's uh, in some ways trying to buck the trend and they're experimenting. And I think there's a lot of hope that I personally feel that, you know, these little experiments, sometimes they help and educate us in terms of how to then later standardize. So I, I totally agree with Lisa. I, I also appreciate those little groups out there. Not not that you don't, but right. There's always those little groups out there that if you wish they would go away, but some days they come back and they bring you something that's pretty amazing. That does yeah, take me have, back. I think you have to push the envelope, or we won't. You know, we won't innovate. Yeah. 
There was, uh, um, I'm, I'm reminded of a, it's not even a story, I'm just reminded of a memory. Um, that's what one gets reminded of generally. Uh, that um, uh, It was a large government uh, place that I, I used to work at, which will remain nameless. Um, and it was very good at kind of doing things right and so on and so forth. And then there was the library. And there in the library was a librarian. And there in the li library, librarian's office was a desktop and there he installed Linux so he could manage and it was kind of uh, just a tiny example of uh, the kind of the the boring place and the boring guy and the the boring little setup and that's where uh, a little kind of spark of innovation happens so I, I think you know it's not always the big flame flames of the the exciting front-end stuff that needs to be fanned it's just watching those little ground swells and uh, nurturing those little roots yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes the expectations, it just helps to fly under the radar for a little while. Mm. So. so that's all very interesting. I mean, so I'm delighted to talk about uh, standardization as, as a thing, because actually one of the big challenges I see when I, when I speak to organizations out there is uh, – almost the sorcerer's apprentice challenge, which is where they've got so much fragmentation. They've been trying all these new things in so lots of different teams. To your point, Lisa, about uh, shouldn't be siloed, but operating in a very siloed way. So you've got little groups everywhere trying out this new stuff and trying it out in slightly different ways with different pipelines, with different tool chains, um, and ending up with um, thousands, literally thousands of different ways of doing things and different tools and, and different uh, targets and, and, and so on and so forth. So fragmentation is clearly a big issue. Um, but uh, so we, we, we can we can carry on talking about that stuff. Or is there, a, um, from your storage perspective, something that you kind of see, actually, do you know what, what we're saying most of all that really, really, really is preventing progress right now is uh, stateful versus stateless, or is uh, ma making the you know the, the infrastructure linkages, or the, what 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 are you seeing out there? That's a really big one, stateful versus stateless. There, you know, when Kubernetes first started taking everybody by storm, there was this notion that you could not run stateful applications on Kubernetes. And that's absolutely not true. Now, you do need a little help from companies in the cloud native storage ecosystem uh, and other, you know, other parts of our community. But you ha we had to figure out a way to solve these problems because it's just too important not to. People are going to want to run, you know, their applications in containers. So, we solved this problem. So I think that's a really big one. It's referred to often as day two, day two problems, day two issues. Day one is pretty easy, but then what do you do on day two, three, four, five, six? Um, so that's that's where we chose to focus, and and I think we're solving a really crucial problem. I, I just want to jump in. I think uh, I'm, I'm probably going to contradict my earlier comments, but I feel like <laughs> yes, I, I feel the right to do so. Right, you know, starting small, experimenting in the library. I, I think the the thing here is. The thing that uh, in some ways uh, touches a nerve is as you know, we travel and we talk to people. Sometimes I'm on stage and sometimes there's somebody sitting next to me that I disagree with who says, you know, let's just start simple. And I think there is such a thing as starting way too simple. Right. And so my, my point being is I, I think we have to have some strong beliefs. We can talk about strong beliefs weekly held. But my point here is this. I think the containers, Kubernetes, storage, et cetera, the thing that I believe in personally is the automation uh, what you can do in terms of having a platform. And that platform 
in some ways what Lisa is also pointing out has to be useful. So we start way too simple and we start using uh, little examples of how I can do hello world apps. That's not really uh, going to move the needle or benefit anyone after the library, right? So as we go bigger in the campus. So what I, what I want to contradict myself in saying is that we have to pick a problem that is tractable a solvable, but also represents the end goal. And if the end goal is to say, how does my team get trained up on this new technology? It better be a use case that matters to the business. Uh, and so what I would say, looking more at our, our customer bases, it's oftentimes a lot of analytics workloads. It's like, hey, I want to process uh, the set of logs and I want to be able to explain to my business what's going on. Those, if that's end meaningful, those are incredibly rich. And if it's not that, that's fine. But my point is, let's not start with the technology to answer what we should be doing. Let's start with what the problems we're solving. And in the, oftentimes it's how do I move into production faster with these kind of workloads? And so regardless of what we pick, I think there is such a thing as uh, too simple. And I, I want a t-shirt that says that. Uh -huh. <laughs> you can start too simple. Um, yeah. The, uh, for some reason, I, 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 this is, this is a complete digression. So I apologize profusely, but it's my podcast, so I can do this. Um, I actually had a t-shirt that said Pobody's no effect. And when, uh, um, uh, uh, Someone said to me on 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 Twitter, "Poverty's uh, no effect." I then said, "Oh, I had that T-shirt." And then I was able to find the photo of me when I was aged about nineteen wearing that T-shirt, which was uh, there you go. It's nothing to a, do with anything at all. I had a hat that said "blah blah blah," and I'll, I'll go look for a photo. But it's got to be. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me immediately of Alex Lifeson from Rush, but. That is a, a severe digression there, so we really need to stop and pull back, pull back. Okay, so something I, I just wanted to wrap up a little bit quickly, so um, because almost we went straight to the straight right the way through and right to the answer, and then all the way back again. So first thing we talked about was stateful versus stateless, which, um, in my ignorant um, layperson's understanding of that, it's that a lot of these new technologies uh, enable you to do really clever things at the application level. Uh, and manipulate data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then if you switched it all off and on again, you wouldn't have any record. So you need the system of record behind the scenes somewhere to hold that information. And you've got to make a translation between the uh, the, the, the kind of runtime, um, everything's just happening because it should thing, and actually being able to store something in the back. And it's that management of state, i.e. it's the management of the the, the the state of the application, the state of the process, the state of the data, it's all represented by what you store. So that's my understanding of it. You can correct me on that. Um, well, I think you just made the point that we make all, a lot, which is that there's, there's really no stateless application. I think one of our customers told me once, the only stateless application out there is Hello World. Almost everything has some state involved. So really, you know, what we're talking about is I, we're, we're solving a problem that everybody has. And I think that's um, partially the point that you're trying to make. Thank you for not saying, no, you got it completely wrong. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with that, I, I mean, this does fit into the whole conversation around standardization, fragmentation around soft lock-in and, and all those things, because essentially, uh, to your point, Eric, a lot of this needs to happen already so that you can get on and build things. You can't just be the librarian. You can't just kind of uh, be learning from scratch about what the the patterns should be because 
it will take you too long. You won't innovate. You will just, it, it's a bit like someone said to me, it, I did, it, it was actually someone from a, a travel technology company or uh, a, a, an online travel agent, OTA, who said, we did not come into step on this planet in order to be the best network engineers in the world. Uh, that's not our job. Our job is to become the best OTA in the world. And therefore, a lot of this stuff needs to be already available, uh, both in terms of um, technology, but then also in terms of the expertise that's inherent in that. So the patterns, the whole stateful stateless pattern, for example, or set of things that you need to do around that should be part of the platform. I, I like what I like that, um, you know, we didn't step on that planet to be the best in, in the sense that that person is representing that, you know, they have a day job. And, you know, let's not go reinvent things that others are already solving, but we also have to be careful where we go seek our answers from. And so, you know, our perspective or my perspective is that there are certain companies or groups out there solving this. Uh, we happen to be one of them. And there are places you're going to go to who don't have that view because, you know, they're the status quo. So if you're looking for a new answer and if you're looking, you know, you should have certain expectations and demand a lot, right? You know, demonstrate that this value is there. Guide me, partner with me, because that's that's another fun part, just bringing it back to the top of the conversation, our very first questions, you know, what's so exciting about technology, right? It's that we're doing it together. And in this ecosystem, there's such a democratization that there is a sense that the customers, the vendors, they all learn together because, you know, it's not a repeated 20-year-old uh, version. It's something that's getting changed in a meaningful way. So my point being is that that partnership, that is what's exciting as well in this technology landscape. So mm -hmm. that team that's looking for a better answer, they should find and have high expectations. And, and in some ways, make sure that they're picking the right partners to go on that journey with because it is supposed to be different and there is things that should be demonstrable and help them be the ones that are best at their OTA job and let the toil go towards whatever you pick as the best choice of that stack. And, and Lisa, given, given your, uh, uh, your user group uh, community hat um, for, for a moment, uh, how much, if we're, wanting people to be we're demanding that people are more demanding uh if you like uh, with, with more set higher expectations on, on what the providers provide uh so that a lot of these problems are solved uh, at least uh in principle out of the box how uh how does that play into the uh the the nature of the people that you're the people that are at the front line of innovation if you like that parts of your user groups are, are they that demanding are they are they are they setting up these high level of expectations or are they being the best network engineers in the world rather than the best OTAs in the world? No, if you try to do that, you, you will crash and burn um, and that, you know, <laughs> spectacularly. We always have these, uh, these sayings, you know, don't try to boil the ocean. Um, but to your point, my user group is incredibly demanding. And maybe it's because we're here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Maybe it's because there's so much amazing technology. Um, maybe it's because everybody wants sushi and champagne instead of beer and pizza. It's just a very demanding user group. But, you know, it's, I think that this is where automation comes in and is very, very helpful 
people so we can kind of save people from themselves. It's like, don't try to do everything. Let's take a lot of the human stuff out of this. Let's let you get back to your day job and what your expertise is in the business that you're trying to run. And we will automate as much as we can and we'll just make this stuff work for you as much as we can. And then what Eric just said about partnering is massively important. Choose the right partner. Make sure you, you know, get in bed with the right technology um, and, and the right people, I guess you can say. Um, and that's, that's going to, those type of decisions. And if you, if you make those early on, you'll go down the right path instead of going down the wrong path. And that's just an analogy for life, right? How you set these things up, how you architect your uh, environment, um, saying, you know, same thing with your life, make good decisions early on and the ripple effect from that later will pay off big for you. To play that, but I, I hear a lot of people say, um, you know, the platform economy, for example, it, it, it's about uh, uh, building on top of the platform. Uh, this is a different um, different take on it, which is to set very high expectations of the platform. Uh, yeah, I just want to be the best travel agent in the world. Sort me out, fix these problems, make make it so that I can like, that I can just focus on that, which is a. Uh, a very interesting uh, place to be if you don't actually, um, but it's not an unrealistic one, if you don't actually know what the technology can do. If I don't know what the technology can do, part of me says I should first learn what the technology can do. But what this is actually saying is I shouldn't have to learn that. I should just have to expect more from, from the providers so that they... I, I think there'll still be... They'll still be learning, right? Uh, but it should be, in some ways, visible. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Um, everything has to go to first principles. It should be. This is what we're trying to achieve. You're trying to build that travel platform, or you're trying to build that travel experience. The platform can service that travel because the main thing. Let's just play with this example is that I need to have real-time results more quickly. And in a real-time system, there's going to be a data pipeline. And that data pipeline is going to ingest from thousands of signals. Those thousands of signals need to ensure that any node loss or any failure doesn't cause a brownout, right? So what I mean to say is we can walk back and say, our goal is to build a real-time travel platform. That real-time travel platform interconnects. It has to be resilient and it has to be automated in its recovery and it has to demonstrate faster results and it has to. So all I mean to say is it will be grounded, but in, I'm using your example because it helps to uh-huh, uh-huh. go all the way through, right? Uh, the thing is, you know, we don't have to think about it as, oh, um, we're going to go learn every single piece of the stack in order to answer one piece of the question. That's the expectation that I'm trying to say can be guided. Exactly. You can learn what's possible as a solution without learning how to code. I mean, you don't have to get that granular. I'm not saying your Fortran background won't come in handy for you, John, but you don't. Oh, <laughs> you went there. <laughs> I went there. You don't have to. Get, you know, you don't have to be an expert in it in all the things, but you do have to be focused on solution. The big questions. Focus on the platform and make the right decisions around the big questions. My very first job interview was actually with Hewlett Packard. And they said, what do you think of COBOL? And I said, it's a dinosaur. It's never going to last. No one needs that. And they said, that's great. We're a COBOL shop. We program COBOL. And I was like, oh, bye. Uh, <laughs> it was a very short interview. And then, you know, 30 years later, people are still running COBOL. But anyway, that's 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 a fascinating aside. Um, no, it's not a fascinating aside. It's very boring. Sorry, I apologize. But the, overall then, where we are is... Uh, that there's things that organizations need to do. They need to understand uh, how would, if you were to summarize the things that 
this particular travel agent needed to know in-house versus the stuff that they should be expecting other people to just provide? Should they have technical architects? Should they have, uh, uh, even if they're not doing the network engineering, should they have the network engineers? Should they, at what level uh, should they be in-housing versus uh, outsourcing from a skills perspective, would you say? I would say um, the parts that are closer to the business experience they need in-house. And so, you know, if their travel agent is running in multiple locations, multiple sites, they'll have a technical architect. They'll have someone who's doing application architecture. They'll have someone who does the IT or platform architecture. Now, whether they get to specialize is probably more a question of the size of the company, right? Sometimes smaller companies, you have to wear multiple hats. But there, this industry and this space, there is still a heavy emphasis on the architect having that deeper education. And then there will be teams that do the operations that are incredibly uh, critical to all this. The part that they may not choose to or the part that let's separate out what we're not saying, right, is that they won't have someone who's uh, only focused on just one resource doing one networking skill set or one uh, storage skill set. Because in some ways, from our perspective, this is about making Kubernetes the centralized platform that can run anything, right? Uh -huh. So Kubernetes, Kubernetes becomes the expertise that we standardize on and it allows you to run all these workloads regardless of where. Lisa, does that fit with uh, the people you're speaking to? Yeah, I think so because it's sort of how reality will force that. And especially if you're a smaller, you're a small travel agency, how on earth are you going to have expertise in all of those areas, right? You just can't. And so I think that reality is forcing, you know, forcing you to understand how to, how to make these decisions and how to be smarter with the resources that you have. And uh, I guess the, the flip side of the thing is for larger enterprises that have all of these skills, which bits of it should they be letting go? Um, you know, they, they, they have teams and teams of enterprise and technical architects. I think they'll have teams and teams, and then they'll also still have additional things that we haven't talked about. Or I think you made one comment that harkened to this is things like compliance, right? So uh, they're thinking, of, I was out visiting uh, enterprise architects around your area and their perspective is we have ones that only focus on different public clouds. We have ones that focus on the compliance question. So their world is incredibly complicated for other reasons, right? So there's not much that they will give up or give away, but it starts to become, how do we make this a repeatable or how do we make this the bet that makes us competitive with the other big company down the, down the street, right? So they have a much more, uh, they, their pressures become different. And I, I don't know how to solve making their, Org structure simpler in some ways that's beyond my visibility. <laughs> and now you're touching on um, our other favorite topic to talk about these days, which is multi-cloud. Um, and we've been talking about this a lot and we feel like, uh, you know, Kubernetes is, is finally um, making things like DevOps and things like multi-cloud a reality. So uh, the technology is, is catching up to be able to solve these, these problems for companies and figure out, you know, what's the best way to give you a solution? You know, where do you want to run those workloads? You know, what do you, you know, how are you going to secure and protect that data? Um, and multi-cloud is another, you should probably evolve your uh, voices of DevOps to voices of multi-cloud uh, for the next wave of these trends. Uh, voices in cloud native, because um, that's your user group. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting that there, there's um, some of these things are cause and some of these things are symptoms. My, my belief on, on multi-cloud is that it's something that is now possible 
but it's something that if you go back to uh, Jordan and Constantine's paper on structure design in 1985, uh, sorry, 1975, uh, which was all about modularity in systems, but then distributed systems happened and the whole, everything broke because uh, you just didn't have the network bandwidth to run between systems and then between clouds. What you've got with multi-cloud is now the ability to build systems how you wanted to 40 years ago. So the, the reason I say that is because actually it gives us hooks into how we can speak to, to enterprise players. Uh, we don't say you've got to throw it all away and start again. We say, you know those things you learned back at college? Now we can get on with it and we can actually deliver on those things. So it, it, it's really quite a, a low friction and quite attractive approach. Yeah, I, I think that's a great example. And I think one thing that's also happening now, if I had to forecast, is that going forward, people are going to start running legacy workloads in Kubernetes. So, you know, I don't have to re-architect and lift and re-platform my application. I can bring it wholesale. And that's not necessarily true at this moment, but I think in a short amount of time that will be true and that will be yet another sea change. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the, it was the goal of uh, web services and it was the goal of SOA and it was the goal of component-based development and it was, it, it goes all the way back as well. So, uh, it does. Um, why, 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 why wouldn't you? And, uh, um, as someone that was involved in screen scraping projects, uh, in order to get data from one place to another, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so we, we've kind of got on to the, uh, the where things are going, which uh, is probably a good point to, to wrap up and uh, think about what we've discussed. We've discussed about the issues around standardization, particularly at the lower levels, as you say, the toil uh, areas, the, just the, the, the painful stuff. I mean, let's automate the, let's automate the pain and so, so we can focus on the great game, which has to be uh, where, where things want to be. We've looked at stateful and stateless as a, as a manifestation of um, uh, the kinds of challenges that people face. We've looked at the kinds of things that uh, uh, smaller organizations can do, that bigger organizations can do. And we've started to talk about uh, what, what things are happening in the future, which does come down to this increased uh, ten tendency towards uh, models that are more usable across the board. I'm trying to avoid using the word standardization. There, standards are horrible. I, I used to be an X400 trainer, um, and and that didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> no one's using X400 these days. Uh, so we don't want these big standards, as you point out, Eric. Um, we we want uh, low low pressure, low threshold uh, um, platforms that allow people to do what they want to do uh, without having to think about the horrid stuff. So Lisa, maybe uh, um, put, put this to you then. Um, if you were to leave people with, if that's the way the world's going, here's what I would do about it, uh, thoughts, what would, you, what would be your top one, two, three uh, suggestions in, in, in terms of getting organized for that? I think there's still some of the horrid stuff, as you call it, that you do have to think about. Security is a big one. If I run a meetup called Security and Kubernetes, the room is packed, completely packed. Uh, the networking stuff is hugely important, and that's problems that we're still trying to solve. And you see awesome technologies like Istio coming out. Um, you see a lot of CICD stuff coming out, too, uh, just to try to automate and make all of this stuff a lot easier. So I, I think you do have to still focus on some of these areas and, and you know, make the right bets uh, going in. 
Um, but you know, that, that, that partnership is, is huge. Finding the right partners, you know, finding who's going to help you on this journey and, and help bring you there. And, uh, and the platform that you choose is also going to be pretty important, but I think Kubernetes makes a lot of things possible and, we can all agree on that, I believe, and you're seeing everybody get in line there, all the big companies. Um, so now we're just solving the problems around the edges of that. Uh -huh. and, uh, Eric? I think, uh, you know, one, two, three. The one would be find that library or that rebel team, and uh, I'll contradict a third time, but find that rebel team and uh, give them the tools to go experiment. But Part two is think about it from a, a platform or platforms, my version, but a business uh, need to, to drive change. And three would be in some ways, find the right partners, wherever they be that say, you know, let's not go relearn the painful toil parts. Let's go solve uh, the real problem. Uh -huh. And so, you know, obviously we have a perspective, but whatever that is for your industry, you know, there, there is a change and that change is going to, be impacting the way all applications run. And so, you know, have that library team, have a bigger vision, and then find friends to go work on that. And so I, your three I think, is my one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to, to your point, Lisa, that, that, that uh, uh, there's stuff happening, I mean, you say there's stuff happening around the edges of Kubernetes. I, I think this is still a work in progress. I don't think anyone would say we're kind of done in terms of the, the technology stack uh, around that. Um, and you're, the very existence of Portworx is um, uh, uh, an example of that, um, but the the there's a general consensus that this is the right way to do things, uh, and that's certainly something to hook onto. That's um, what the community here has has decided, and that's uh, that's what the evidence that I'm seeing is. And you know me, I'm going to follow that new trend, but that is absolutely where we are right now. Cool. Well, we look forward to see. Oh, I'm going to have such a um, cheesy wrap up after you've said that. So <laughs> we look forward to seeing where that's going to go. And we want to see it on. I, I can't even do it. Can you throw in some words about journeys and kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, destinations and how wonderful it's going to be. And uh, well, it just remains for me to say thank you so much, Lisa Marie. And thank you so much, Eric, for, for being such uh, uh, good sports on, on this podcast. And, and thank you for all the advice and expertise that you've brought. Thank you, John. Thank you for having us. A lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.